Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. I'm Hope BC Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. Tom DeSorcy, the Fire Chief in Hope, British Columbia. Pleasure to be joined today by Scott Wilkinson, Senior Academy Officer in Training with the Fire Department and Paramedic Service in Winnipeg. Scott, it's uh, thank you for joining us today. No problem, Tom. Uh, happy to be here. The topic is, is about uh, technology. We're talking about new things, but even though this technology may not be as new as some people think, uh, the use and the introduction of what used to be called unmanned aerial vehicles or drones in the fire service. I, am I wrong in saying or, or thinking that 10 years ago we may not have been having this discussion? Well, if we were having it, we were certainly uh, in a, looking at a future state. Um, even five or seven years ago, it was really not prevalent uh, in the Canadian fire service, especially a little ahead in the American. But it's over the last three to five years that it's uh, it's really picked up and is picking up at a, at a growing pace in our country. This is more than the days that we grew up with remote um, RC, if you will, remote control aircraft. Am I correct? That's for sure. I mean, the ability to just fly the, uh, the little airplane around uh, with the RC is uh, was a fun toy. Uh, today's technology goes so far beyond that. I mean, even the ones that are available for the average consumer at or at Best Buy or your uh, consumer types of stores uh, can do an amazing amount of stuff. And with the technology that we're using in the fire service, uh, they're safe, they're effective, and they're a great resource for us uh, in emergency services. Tell me about the history of Winnipeg Fire and Paramedic Service being involved in a drone program, if you will. And we'll get into that in a moment, more why we call this a program. But the first time and the first consideration to actually use this technology as part of fire operations. Well, it started a few years back. We uh, were looking at, I was in charge of some of the issues with our wildland program. And at the time, we were thinking it was a great opportunity to provide uh, reconnaissance for our incident commanders that they couldn't otherwise get. Uh, I'll be honest, I am not technologically gifted in any way, shape, or form, but I was familiar with the, the potential application of drones. So uh, we took an opportunity. Uh, our fire chief, uh, John Lane, uh, gave me the opportunity to go forwards for some uh, grant funding within an innovation program in the city. And uh, lo and behold, we got it. And at that point, the chief said, well, go make a program. So uh, that's where we started making the program. Uh, it took it took us a few years. This isn't something you can walk into and you know, go buy a drone and start flying tomorrow with the regulations, the uh, procedures and the training involved. But uh, just uh, middle of last year, we were finally able to get uh, in the air. For those that may be thinking about getting involved in the in the program, as it were, you talk about budget, you talk about funding. I, I mean, is, this is not necessarily, as you say, you can walk down to the electronic store today and buy a drone, but that's that's only the beginning and it may not be the only way you should be where you should be starting. No, absolutely. If you're if you're going to think you're starting by just buying the drone, that's probably a little ways down the road. I mean, the first thing anybody has to do is kind of identify what their needs are to uh, know what level of program they need to get into, um, how how they want to respond. Uh, again, the budget is a question. Uh, we were able to get some initial funding, but I mean, you can spend anywhere from $2,000 to $200,000, depending on the nature of program you want to get into and the amount of money you have. I mean, most of us in the fire service certainly don't have the $200,000 option. But we have lots of options within the industry that we are not nearly as expensive to get what we want. 
uh, we identified some of those options. Uh, we partnered with a really good uh, uh, vendor that we dealt with and we continue to deal with, uh, Indro Robotics out of British Columbia, who were extremely helpful. They worked uh, with Victoria Fire as well. And uh, that helped us identify our training needs, implement training for instructors, start looking at the regulatory pieces, which are constantly training within Transport Canada. And these are many of the pieces you have to get into even before you look at purchasing the aircraft. With the development of a program, and I mean putting this together, the, the aspect of this, where does, it, where does it fit in in the budget in terms of priorities? Well, I guess that depends on your individual department. I mean, our uh, our chief is uh, very supportive. Chief Lane uh, saw the, I think, the effectiveness and the potential for for the technology, and and we've been able to show that early on in the program with some great success on the fire ground. But uh, I, I think you know you got to do a little bit of a sales pitch and show people the benefits of it. Some people might think it's just a toy, but it's it's clearly not a toy. Its applications in search and rescue, hazardous materials, and on uh, incident command reconnaissance are are unmatched. There's really no other way to get that kind of uh, the view and the abilities that we can do with the drone. So Scott, in Winnipeg, have you had immediate buy-in from, from all of the, uh, the rank and file? I, I think it went quite well. I mean, we did go out. We made an effort once we got things rolling and got our training going. We went out and uh, we brought in our leadership group, our district chiefs, our platoon chiefs, and senior people on each of our platoons. We went out, gave them demonstrations, and shown them what the effectiveness of it. And um, earlier on, you know, right off the bat, it was easy to see that, you know, there I had a few people that were kind of rolling their eyes and thinking that uh, we're wasting money on toys. But uh, as soon as they got an opportunity to see the views they could get of an area as incident commanders without waiting for can reports and secondhand information, um, most people are, uh, you know, bought in pretty quickly and are and are really in favor of, uh, of what it can do for them. Would you would you compare this technology being introduced into the fire service with any other technology that we currently have and is mainstream now? And I I think of the first time we we talked positive pressure with with, uh, with positive pressure ventilation with with firefighters that have been there for a while that said you're going to put air into a fire? Are you are you are you serious? Is is there any yeah. comparison you can draw with this? Well, I mean, I, I look at, I mean, they, you know, they all have their individual tools. I mean, everything from self-contained breathing apparatus to fans to thermal imaging. We've seen technology change uh, the way we operate in the fire service. Um, I think this is on par with a lot of those. I mean, it certainly doesn't have the same safety implications as some of those. But for our command and reconnaissance features and, and for safety, we can identify products using a drone without sending people into hazmat situations um, before we have to put people at risk. Greater opportunities for search and rescue to identify victims where we can find people faster and more effectively. And ultimately, and when we look at some of those wildland or even our large structure or, or fire situations, we can get that view that no other incident commander has otherwise. And this way, he can see what he's dealing with, can properly manage and deploy his resources. It, it, it's, it was a game changer at some of our recent incidents uh, in 2018. Let's talk about some of the regulations now in terms of which came first, the chicken or the egg. I'm thinking that the drone use in the fire service came before the regulations were required, or was that from the recreational uh, market, if you will? Well, the drones have been around for quite some time, and it's it's taking you know the regulations a little while to catch up. They did have some regulations in place, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of people in the recreational field aren't necessarily aware of those. And I think we'll, we they, they do find a lot of people aren't necessarily playing by the rules. Obviously, as a public agency, we want to make sure that we were we were flying and and operating according to any of the regulations. So we were in touch with Transport Canada right off the bat, and they had existing regulations in place. Uh, we had uh, worked through procedures aircraft training and safety in order to get what we had a, called a seat special flight operating certificate with them and that allowed us to start flying 
uh, recently, they've uh, totally revamped a lot of their regulations, and that's where emergency services are are trying to work through right now. Is there is there a role that uh, that the fire service can play in the advancement of drones being used in the public? I think it sets a good tone for what's going on in the public. I think working with the industry like Transport Canada, NAV Canada, and people like that, we can show the effectiveness without some of the negative ramifications. We can be responsible partners in the industry because obviously as professional emergency response organizations, we have rules. We're used to playing with regulations. We're used to, you know, monitoring things and doing things properly and professionally. So that sets a good example for those out uh, in recreation or in other industries to say that it's it's something you can do and you can do effectively within the regulations. Going back to, you know, discussing technology that we started to introduce in the fire service, I guess when you think about it, we really never had a computer set on our, on our, in our pocket, if you will, at a fire scene. And now we use apps and smartphones and those kind of things all the time. What goes along with the drone? I know that you, there is app technology or, or applications that are involved. Uh, it, it's more, as you say, more than just that, uh, that unit flying around. Oh, that's absolutely. I mean, the unit flying around might be the visual that people see, but the effectiveness that we gain is the video that it provides. Uh, the aircraft has video cameras, so we bring back a video uh, display to our controllers that we can show to our incident commanders or our search and rescue team leaders. Um, our unit and many p- other units that people are using have also uh, brought on thermal imaging technology. Uh, we can be in the area of wildfires and identify where the fire is or hotspots. We can identify roof conditions and, uh, and fire location on structural fires. A lot of things that are, are huge issues for our incident commanders in planning their tactical response. Um, on top of that, we're moving now towards something uh, we haven't seen in our in the fire service locally, but it's available out there. We're trying to finalize uh, streaming our signal so that we can actually feed that visual right to our executive officers and to our emergency operations center where it can be viewed by people in the greater planning process. In your opinion, then, is is the technology, now it's being used in the fire service, is, is it keeping up with our needs? Oh, it's definitely keeping up with our needs. The uh, There's technology out there that'll do most of what we want to do. I, I think the shortfall that comes in for many uh, in the in the Canadian Fire Service, and uh, we're all included in the same thing, it's it's budgets in today's day and age. Uh, there's, uh, you know, the technology's out there. If you've got the money to buy it, most of what we need to do or what would be applicable for us is available. Uh, the other limiting factor other than budget is is just the rules and the regulations. I mean, they're, they're slowly advancing those concepts of the regulations and proving what's safe and allowable within the industry. And as that comes along, we'll be able to do more and more. Uh, right now, we have to, we've been operating what's called visual line of sight, which means you have to keep the aircraft uh, in your line of sight at all times. But coming on the very near horizon is beyond visual line of sight, where we'll be able to operate with, uh, again, more uh, controls and instruments and GPS location and monitoring. We're proving that we can do that safely. We can uh, now do further search and rescue. And and down the road, uh, I don't think we'll be surprised to see being able to send that that unit out, that aircraft, ahead of first responders to get a visual of the fire scene and, and essentially get your size up done before your first truck gets around on the on the site. Where uh, do I begin? I'm going to I'm going to set up a drone, and we and again I alluded to the word program, which really I think you have to have that mindset that you are more than just buying another tool to use at a fire ground. You need to have a program. Let's let's back back it up to the beginning. Where where do we get started, and are can we ever be too small a fire department to get started? No, I don't think so. I think that's the beauty of this is it works. I mean, you know, we're a, a larger fire service, and some of the other larger fire services in Canada are starting to use them, but some of the very small are also able to incorporate it. Uh, the, the equipment that's required uh, can be purchased at times as low as a few thousand dollars. 
Um, it's but where you really start off is having to understand uh, your applications, understand your needs, and then really having people that can get to know the the rules and regulations. So getting to know the Transport Canada specifications, how you have to certify your aircraft, the constraints in which you have to operate, those kinds of things you have to really have uh, clear in your mind. I think before you go buy any kind of a, an aircraft or start flying. What about those regulations? Now, there is a, a bit of a training program. There is a, a bit of a, a regulated uh, training program and certification. How much does that, uh, how long does that take? How much time does it, does, do you have to commit to that? Well, it, things have changed quite a bit now with the new Transport Canada regulations. Uh, instead of having to verify the training program that you do utilize, which we did in the past, we had a verified, a certified training program uh, that we were utilizing. Uh, now, uh, Transport Canada runs their own testing. And uh, but you still have to invest in some amount of training in order to prepare for that testing, that online testing and review. So you'd have to get involved with a, a certified school that's certified under Transport Canada, which different uh, you know different people have across the country, or create one yourself. So a lot of people are using a, a three or four day model for their school, uh, and then going off and doing the online exams uh, with study on individual study. Our program uses two separated one-week courses because we want to make sure our pilots are fully prepared for the emergency scenes they're dealing with. So we conduct a ground school with initial flight training. They go out and do practice, practice on shift with the rest of their uh, team, and they come back for final training on our uh, our advanced equipment, and including different operations such as the night flight and obstacle avoidance in some of the situations we work in. How many people uh, in your in your department and uh, your service are dedicated to the program? We're a little unique so far. I mean, many of the uh, other agencies in Canada are dealing with a handful of people that work kind of individually on call, kind of off the corner of their desk concepts. Uh, what we decided to do here was implement it in an immediate capacity. We have uh, one of our rescue units is our uh, drone response unit as well. So when the call comes in for uh, for the need for the drone, we have it automatically into our CAD system for a number of calls and then on request beyond that. Uh, I have uh, currently four pilots on each of our shifts, currently trained on each of four shifts, plus two master instructors and myself as the operations manager. So we're running about 18 pilots, uh, which is pretty large for our program, but that gives us the ability um, to be on scene in a matter of minutes for any call 24-7. And those calls, are, are which ones are you going to, and, and is it, or is it every call you're deploying? We are we're deploying to our confirmed water rescue calls, our hazardous materials calls, uh, our advanced wildland calls, and also to any of our second alarm and above uh, structural fires. Beyond that, it's requested by our incident commanders. This allows us to get it on the road right away because obviously its best application is to be there as soon as possible and, and capture that reconnaissance that's required. Fascinated by the comment you made about the drone actually leaving the leaving the hall ahead of the apparatus to get to a scene. I think that that would certainly be a game changer. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're they're testing this kind of technology in, in, in controlled settings in North America, in the United States right now, and, and various things, uh, including dropping of, uh, of uh, semi-automatic defibrillators, uh, delivering those kinds of piece of technology radios in uh, mountain rescue situations all over the map. And it, it's coming. When we can get that beyond visual line of sight, um, piece solidified within the regulations, uh, we won't be that far off. We'll be able to look at the application of sending it out from a centralized location with a central controller and putting it on the scene, possibly ahead of the resources and giving information back to either our dispatch or our incident command team before units even arrive. 
We've talked to today about the positives uh, around the drone uh, program and the drone use in the fire service. Are there some downsides? I mean, you must have to deal with privacy concerns and, and those kind of things. Yeah, there is definitely some of that. It is a consideration for us. Looking at the privacy is something we, we considered early on. Um, we made sure we put in language in our procedures that uh, included uh, areas such as how we're storing video information, who has access, and how it's disseminated. Uh, to make sure that it's really clear on, on how we're controlling our, our video and our capture information and to ensure that anyone's aware that we are not out there just filming everything we see. We're filming our active scenes and what's pertinent and uh, and just to make sure people are comfortable that we're working within the privacy regulations. To me, it would seem no different than dash cams on fire trucks. No, I wouldn't think so. And in fact, we're probably even less uh, less of an issue with the with the uh, drones in some way because we're focused entirely on the fire scene, whereas the dash cam is capturing other things as you respond to the fire. We're we're fairly focused on the fire scene, and we haven't had any concerns or complaints uh, come through in our operation to date. And in fact, uh, most of the uh, feedback has been uh, very positive, and the media is very uh, interested in our footage whenever we have it. And if it's something we can share, we do, which has been. Uh, great to promote both the use of the program and, and some of the work we're doing on our emergency scenes. When you talk about promoting the program, and I was going to think, I was going to discuss that as well, then what is the relationship with the, with the media? I mean, I'm sure they would be very interested in a lot of this footage. Yeah, they, they certainly are. I mean, this is this is footage that they, you know, in our setting, they don't uh, normally have access to. So we've, we've been able to work collaboratively with our local media agencies and outlets and and provide uh, pieces of the footage that are after after they've been reviewed by our privacy officer and our executive to send out uh, footage uh, on some of the incidents we've attended and uh, both in order to give them the ability to show what's going on in the fire scene and also allows us to promote both the work of our, our firefighters and our operations and, and the use of the drone program. I would think in a lot of uh, communities, a lot of applications, there would be the opportunity to work with uh, with your response partners. Is is that the case in Winnipeg, working with say police, or are they are they on their own with the, with drone programs? Uh, well, we we looked at you know collaborating with them as uh, as we can. They uh, our police service does have their own helicopter, um, but uh, recently I I am. F- quite certain right now they are working towards uh, evolving into the uh, drone field as well. Uh, I think initially with uh, traffic and other types of investigation, which I know many of the other services like the OPP and the RCP are already doing, and, and I'm sure they'll evolve into the program as well. It's it's really caught on since we took advantage of it here, a number of other uh, areas in our city have, uh, have actually taken on uh, drone usage as well, and I think uh, including our waterworks department and even our uh, Insect control branch uh, has uh, got a drone out mapping their standing water areas uh, and and speeding up their their processes. We talked earlier at the at the beginning about you know that the the terminology was UAV and it's no longer UAV. It has evolved even since then. Yeah, things move fast in the uh, technology industry. I mean, I when I first thought of this process and we went forward with funding and started a program, it was a drone, and then it was a it was a UAV. So I we we set up all of our programs and procedures for unmanned aerial vehicles. And uh, now it's evolved, and under Transport Canada and across international industry, it's known as a remote piloted aerial system, or an RPAS. So I'm still uh, still changing all my documents, but uh, it, it definitely continues to evolve. In the United States, they're still referring to it in an unmanned aerial vehicle program, but I'm sure that'll come along as we go. So yeah, it's it's not a drone, it's not a UAV, it is now an RPAS. 
we know that at a fire scene, we are under, I think, a lot of competition, if you will, when it comes to uh, social media, people filming, people covering the event, especially if it's a large event. Do you have to control the airspace at a, at a large incident? You do to an extent. I mean, we haven't had that problem locally yet, and I certainly won't pretend that it'll never happen. Um, there are drone users out there and um, that are people not necessarily flying by regulation. By regulations, you're not allowed to fly uh, in and around the area of emergency scenes uh, or fire scenes, both uh, structural and, and city or wildland fire or forest fires. However, as we all know, that won't necessarily prevent everyone. So we haven't had the problem to date, but if we do have that problem, uh, we will have to always constantly monitor the airspace for that and uh, make sure we avoid any collisions or issues. And it's something we'd be working with our partners in Transport Canada and our police service, uh, hopefully to properly manage if we do see someone on our scenes. As you say, work with your partners in uh, in Transport Canada. How, how much influence uh, do you have or have you had or do, I guess, the, does the fire service have in the regulations that are created? Uh, well, we haven't had much opportunity to date, and that's something we definitely would like to to work on to see a little more uh, presence by emergency services in our country. The recent regulations uh, went a long way in helping to advance uh, the way that they're managing uh, RPAS systems in Canada. However, it didn't really fully take into account the uh, needs of emergency services. Uh, so some of the issues we're still working around are, are creating some limitations for us as far as uh, how we can operate and where we can operate just based on the way they've changed the regulations. So I, I think it's a work in progress, and uh, we're really hoping that Transport Canada will uh, sit down with emergency services in Canada, maybe some more of a working group model, and we might see some further re uh, revisions or possibly some uh, look towards some exemptions that will allow us to operate in the best interest of the citizens uh, as we go forward. You talk about the uh, you spoke of the of the of the use of drones in you know in operations in uh, in wildland operations and rescue operations. I would think as part of your promotion, you're you're talking about the benefit of uh, say a post operation from a from say a fire investigation or or those kind of uh, you know uses uh, perhaps a, a, I guess at pre planning and such. Could that be uh, also part of the application process? Absolutely. I mean, when we have some of the larger uh, areas, we can definitely use them for pre planning. Uh, our our crews are always out pre-planning. We have soft pre-planning software that they go out and, and mark down pre-plans for dispatch. Uh, we can certainly get that kind of footage there. Our investigations team, we have uh, investigators on staff here in, in our service that work with our provincial investigations team out of the fire commissioner's office as well. Uh, this is something, uh, post-fire investigation is very helpful. And, and from my background in training, it's uh, if we can get that uh, that footage, a huge uh, assist for us in in reviewing our post-incident review and for uh, training aspects for as we train our officers and our incident commanders. So looking forward to the to the future, uh, you know, we have this conversation six months, a year from now, two years from now. The technology is is constantly evolving. Where would you like to see it evolve, and where do you where do you think it's going to go? Well, again, I'm not. Uh, I, I'm probably the, not the best guy about where the technology is as far as uh, the details, but I can certainly see that. Uh, you know, in, even within the next year or two, we could start seeing some of our beyond visual line of sight applications uh, as far as allowing us to search a little further, get a little more out there. Um, part of the things that we're waiting for are continued advancements with the technology for battery life and flight time, which will allow us to do more of what we spoke of before sending it out and abroad a little further. 
Uh, right now, we're operating. Most of us are operating. The industry are operating our rotary aircraft, uh, the small helicopter-style quadcopters. But uh, there is an application even for fixed wing, where that might be able to get us out a little further and with a longer flight time. So there's there's constantly changing technology that we're looking at. Uh, the ability to, to forecast and hopefully you know get the needed budget dollars to do that. We'll just keep expanding these programs. Uh, I think almost inevitably, continually. And no pun intended. I think the sky really is the limit. Uh, you know, it, it really is. They, uh, it, we, there's a lot of really bad uh, UAV jokes out there, and I use as many of them as I can. But uh, in this case, you're right. It's uh, there, there's no end to it. I mean, we know the drones have been around for a long time. I mean, the technology, the space program brought us technology years ago. The military's drone program is where this kind of comes from. They're doing these kinds of things. We just need to get that into mainstream industry and uh, within the regulations. And we'll be flying. We'll be able to have that technology to fly out to remote areas, provide equipment to people in need, uh, defibrillators, uh, advanced reconnaissance for our uh, apparatus and equipment. Uh, like say the the sky definitely is is the limit. Thanks to you and to Winnipeg and to all the departments that are uh, that are utilizing this technology. And uh, certainly, I, I I know there will be many many more to come. The senior uh, academy officer with training is Scott Wilkinson with uh, Winnipeg Fire Department Fire uh, Paramedic Service. Scott, I thank you for uh, for your insight today and for joining us. Thanks, Tom. It was great. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. Visit firefightingincanada.com and click on Hot Topics for more episodes.